Can you hear me? Now I can. You couldn't a moment ago. I couldn't a moment ago before you turned the microphone on. Maybe that's what I did. All right. You should. You're as you bump the desk. The 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 noise from the microphone is deafening. So you may want to not bump the desk. Yeah. Or put the put the mic on uh, something soft like a washcloth or something. Like the uh, advanced reading copy of Ben Lerner's next novel. <laughs> I, I saw somebody. Uh, I saw somebody uh, uh, geeking out about it on uh, Twitter today. Have you have you started reading it? Uh, I've I have read it multiple times. But I just oh. read the uh, um, in manuscript. Just read the advanced reading copy. Yeah. Found, found a couple typos. Got them fixed. Good. You 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 find it to your liking. Uh, very much, very much to my liking. I think uh, I think it will find a really big audience. People who felt like uh, the first novel, Leaving the Atocha Station, was too. Euro trash or irresponsible <laughs> young man wandering around Europe, which is part of it. We'll like this because it's uh, uh, someone struggling with um, having a kid and making a living. So All right. People who felt like the first one was too unlike their lives, struggling to make a living, um, will we'll find uh, this more familiar. Well, a lot, a lot of the I love a lot of the, the criticism of the first novel was people who. Were I think jealous that somebody got to go have a pleasant year in Madrid, <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I you know, I'm certainly jealous that uh, why not that I that I have not been given a pleasant year in Madrid, but I've never asked for one. I don't. I continue to never apply for things. So, what are you doing? Trying to make you deaf. What? I'm, was raising up the computer, yeah, so that I I, I can I feel more eye to eye. Oh yeah, hi. Okay, that makes hi. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You're still shrouded in darkness, but you're you're backlit. It's like uh, it's like the the angels of heaven are coming in your window there. They are, they are doing that. Well, it's eighty degrees or so here in Seattle. It's yeah. sunny. It's bright. We're not accustomed to this. It's been warm here too. Um, as as often happens in Ithaca, we went right from uh, winter into summer. Yeah. But our houses are not designed for uh, uh, for for this kind of lighting. No, mm-hmm. no, our houses are not designed for net neutrality. Or it's hell. It's hell on Skype. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been it's been a while since we talked. We have not talked for about a month. I, I was a, traveling. I had a lovely thought, time talking to Alice last week, but uh, it's just it was, not the same without a, you, Ed. It was our best podcast. <laughs> She's uh, magnificent. Of course she is. She's I thought you all had a, a nice chat. I didn't feel left out at all. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and you know, if the, uh, you should feel free to uh, you should feel free to go talk to Alice or anyone else when I'm not available. I'm not comfortable with that relationship. And I'm what I'm saying is, I think we should start <laughs> seeing other podcasters. Here's here's the thing. Uh, my friend Shane, who <laughs> yeah. stayed at our house while I was gone, I think you've met him, Shane Farmer, sure, illustrious real estate appraiser from the Seattle area. <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you just say like illustrious, like apostrophe l u s t r. Yeah, illustrious, illustrious, the illustrious Shane Farmer. He he plays a lot of video games. Yeah. As people will. And apparently there's a new development in, in, in many narrative video games. Uh, it would tell, tell a story in which the your character gets involved in a relationship. Yeah. 
you know, like uh, I haven't gets encountered, married. Encountered this yet? <laughs> yeah, he said this played two or three, in which it's an important part of the story, or you know, an, an option is that at some point the character develops a romantic relationship and it may in fact get married. Yeah. In the course of of the of the video game, and he said that that's when he has to he has to stop playing because he's he has enough trouble trying to commit in real life <laughs> that in having to having to commit to people in video games is. Is uh, uh, really really makes him uh, un- uncomfortable. He's just not ready for it. Yeah. I, so we'll go back to the previous save, which I think the, the name of that novel is "Previous Save," about <laughs> yeah. the, the gamer who can't commit to <laughs> video game relationships. Yeah, I I have been playing more games since the last time we talked, in part because when uh, you know Rian has been away for the better part of a month. She just got back today, in fact, from another. Oh, trip. good, she's and, back. Um, yeah, yeah. So, dealing with various family things, and uh, and she, um, I found I couldn't concentrate on uh, books. I couldn't read books when she was away. I managed to get through one novel while she was away. Um, the new Jeff Vandermeer sci-fi novel, part of this trilogy that he's writing, that I think is um, that I thought was great. But it was a struggle to get through it, not because the book wasn't good. It's very good, but. But because I just um, I've got a narrative dysfunction, so I had been meaning to um, my students, my undergraduates, often talk about uh, video games when they're uh, um, you know referring to various kinds of plot twists or bits of character development. Um, and I'm finding people refer to video games as often as they do movies these days. I think mostly because video games have become pretty sophisticated narratively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the movies are pretty bad right now. Yeah, they're really not so hot. TV I mean, is it good. may just be to my taste, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think t- TV is killing it, and and I guess games are too. And so, um, uh, so I asked for video game recommendations from my students, and they gave me a pile mm-hmm. of them, and I went and started playing a bunch. And uh, I don't think I can, I'm just realizing how how deep the culture is. It's I started reading some blogs. I just can't, I'm not going to become a gamer. It's just not. It's but it is I'm, deep and it is deep and rich. It's like getting four or five extra master's degrees. It's, it's yeah. it requires a lot of time and effort. But what I'm finding is it is very deep and rich. But I'm I am uh, I'm finding things like things like Shane coming up against um, types of puzzles, varieties of effort mm-hmm. that once I've sort of gotten once I've sort of grokked the category of effort that is required and have d- done a sample or two of it. I just don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I'm finding myself stopping a third of the way through a lot of games. Yeah. <clears throat> I, can't, I can't, for the most part, even do, do that much. Oh, really? Also, I don't have any platforms for it except for the PC, which um, is is not as sufficient anymore. Oh, yeah. I have a new MacBook so that I got uh-huh. um, for mostly for recording music. Yeah. Um, and I got it in laptop form because when I'm editing... When I have to like edit, you know, uh, bass and drum parts or something, or guitar parts, mm-hmm. and it's sort of tedious and time consuming, and I would go have to go in the back room and do it at a desktop computer, and now I can do it next mm-hmm. to Rian on the sofa. And when it's time yeah. to upgrade, I upgrade to a laptop. But it also means that I have this snazzy, fast computer that I can play video games on. And uh, I'd be curious to know what the video games are that you are that were recommended to you. Uh, I guess this is considered a classic at this point but braid 2006 2007 uh indie game uh 
in which it's sort of a it's it's what they call a puzzle platformer. Uh, your little guy, he looks like a little preppy dude. Um, you later find out obliquely that he is in fact a scientist in the 1940s. Uh, there's no evidence of this except ex except circumstantial throughout the game. But he's this little cute guy, and he's running around trying to um, solve puzzles to get to the next level, presumably to rescue. Um, a girlfriend who has been stolen, who he, whom he has offended and is mm. now in, captured by someone else or something like that. And it mm -hmm. turns out it's about it's actually about something very different and very disturbing, but you don't know that. But you can turn back time if you if you die on a level, you can you can you can reverse time. And for the first few levels, this is just a a, a useful trick, right? If you get killed, you can unget killed. But then the manipulation of time that you get more time manipulation tools in your toolbox as the game continues and it becomes more and more complicated how you must use time control in order to solve the puzzles mm -hmm. and eventually certain things don't don't work certain things don't go back in time some things do and some things don't and it becomes more powerfully metaphorical as it becomes more um challenging uh, both yeah. both sort of in terms of uh de dexterity and mm -hmm. you know just sort of puzzle solving ability um and the ending is really quite shocking and moving i have to say in a, in a yeah. you know it's, it has a in, on one hand it looks sort of like donkey kong or super mario brothers um but on the other hand it's it's rather painterly mm -hmm. uh and uh you should you should Check some screenshots of it. It's it's a beautiful game. And then I watched this video game documentary called I think it's called Indie Game with my kids, and it's about if you liked if you like to see did I ever t already say this on the podcast? If you like to see nerds crying, you will love this movie. Mm, I like to see nerds crying. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, but it's it's about these sort of very intense and emotional and sort of auteuristic world mm -hmm. of independent game development and the sort of personal dramas that lead people people to are crying from frust from frustration or yeah. from aesthetic uh being moved aesthetically uh they're the, in this movie they're crying from frustration but one hopes that their work it's not a video game stendhal syndrome no no it's not it's not in the privacy of your home you may be moved to tears by their work that is what they hope mm -hmm. but um but no it's all frustration in the movie uh, so yeah, I, but I I just I just realized that I I think a lot of this stuff is second nature to people who do this obsessively, and to me it's just annoying. So it's a rare game yeah. that I think is really gonna really gonna turn me on. They all give me headaches. Yeah, I'd love to play. I'd love to play games. Uh, they just give me headaches. Yeah, something about it's not it has nothing to do with the design. It's just the screen. So it's that way of looking at a screen that that active intense uh, uh way of having to perceive it i you, think you have um you have often in these the years of this podcast expressed a uh deep ambivalence about your relationship to technology specifically the screens that we spend most of our time staring at do you want to talk more about that today <laughs> well, I don't know if I have anything articulate to say about it. <laughs> um, mostly that I I, uh, uh, I don't like. I've never gotten accustomed to the tablets, the iPad. No. Uh, 
thing. Jill reads on it all the time, conducts business with it, uh, you know, watches TV on it. I just can't. Uh, I had a nice little smartphone okay. all the time. That's the original purpose, and then it turns out that it wasn't just a mirror. It was a uh, <laughs> multi-operational uh, entertainment and communications platform, and it got you real high. <laughs> I had a little smartphone. Uh, I think since we spoke last, Oscar threw it in the swimming pool in Salina, Kansas. <laughs> oh, no. And so I downgraded to Jill's old phone, which is... Uh, not a smartphone. It was on the verge. I think it was very smart when it came out, um, and now seems seems very very slow. And so I I, I, I I suppose there's a camera. I can text on it. I can look at email. It's too tedious to re- reply to it or read anything very long. Uh, it's still mainly a text, a fancy text based phone. Yeah, I think Rian uh, has that phone. And that's reduced my, um, you know, looking at email, Facebook, Twitter. Taking pictures, living living through the technology, which has been fine. Yeah, which has been fine. I've got uh, still just just plenty, plenty of it in my life. Jill, meanwhile, went down to a flip phone. Really, it takes, it takes her about five minutes to send a text saying, "I'll be there in five minutes." <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. The text sh- it yeah. now must be. <laughs> but other than that, has has a lot of features that the contemporary smartphone doesn't have. Yeah, like it's easy to turn on and off. Oh. And you can carry it in your pocket and not worry that much about it. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you a fortune. Yeah, that's the main There's one. There's some real, real improvements over the current smartphones. Yeah. Which, uh, you have to, which, are like, which are like little babies. See, that, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I ignore the fact that it is a valuable object, and um, it's very easy let, to turn on. Let a child throw one in a swimming pool. It's true. I, I, I've we'll arrived at a... Try to replace it and see how. Yeah, I've arrived at a different stage in my life from you. I also discovered that I am, um, I turn out to be unusual at my, uh, I'm I'm skillful at the stewardship of objects. Ah, and I did not let that be on your tombstone. Should you ever need one? Exactly. Here lies J. Robert Lennon. The J is for John. It's complicated to go into that right now in the space of a tombstone, but let it be said that he was skillful at the, and then they ran out of space. <laughs> That's the tombstone I deserve right there. That's it. That's the one. No, as I have, you know, uh, I've, I, it's not a big deal for me to, ha- you know, to have a phone. Like I've never broken mm-hmm. one or dropped one or anything like that. And I don't use a case or anything. I just shove it in my pocket all the time. But I, th- mm-hmm. but I do think, I think that, uh, other people's interface with the physical world is more complicated than mine. My, my, my interface with other parts of existence is is deeply, <laughs> horribly complicated. But the but the physical world, I uh, I feel pretty comfortable with. The tech is just fine. Yeah. And the tech is fine. I I get along with it. But I, but I think think back to toddler years. Yeah, makes it makes it more complicated. Oh yeah, definitely. to have anything to have anything yeah, to have a house. couch. And there weren't you know we didn't have phones then so um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's uh, uh, people who, in the old days, you would not notice the differences along this axis in how they deal with, you know, essentially fragile, tiny computer object. 
uh, yeah. now, you know, now where's your gold watch, Mordecai? Well, it's right here on my watch chain. <laughs> it's about I need my monocle relensed. I'm going to go relens my monocle next week. Good luck with that. I've got a, I've got a monocle relenser. I've got a man for that. Oh no, my son threw my monocle in the pool. Oh, just take it out. Oh, just take it out. Put it back in your eye. Not a problem. Works fine. Do you know that you can buy a monocle from Warby Parker? I, I don't doubt it. Can you buy a monocle Google Glass? <laughs> I, I don't know. And is it I DOS? Would... <laughs> I'd like a DOS Google monocle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about retro. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so tech, man. I have been. I've continued to write in notebooks, by the way. Yeah. And uh, I found myself recently with some PayPal mad money because I'd sold yeah. a couple of musical items that I wasn't using. Some and, theremins? Uh, <laughs> no, no theremins. It was a, it was a keyboard and a uh, guitar. And uh, uh, basically <laughs> spent it all on office supplies. But I'm really, I'm really geeking out with it, and I'm finding myself going to coffee shops – Specifically, the Shop Cafe, with people here in Ithaca, I recommend it if you don't already go there. Um, it turns out it's where all my graduate students are. They, you know, There's been a procession of people who appear surprised to see me there. Um, but I've been you know, just putting in the old white noise in my earbuds and uh, write, writing in notebooks, as I told you I was starting to. And you know, you were right about it. It's great. It's indispensably it great. awesome, in fact. And, yeah. Uh, Totally substantively different types of things go into it than going into my computer. Uh, I'm not going to add pages to my novel in a notebook anytime soon. I, I really value that sort of... I think that the, the tech vanishes when I'm writing a novel on a computer. Um, it's just sort of like the words are appearing. I think them and they appear on the screen, you know. Uh, but, the, but the notebook elicits different kind of stuff. It's mm -hmm. it's very nice, very nice. I think it changes one's syntax. Yeah, you might take more 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 pleasure in writing it. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think it changes the, the sentence. I mean, people of you know, scholar types have you know, deduced the the difference in Henry James's syntax when he moved from writing longhand to dictating midway oh. through what midway through what Maisie knew. Yeah, I bet. I can, Point to the point to the sentence when he had to shift to 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 uh, um, uh, to whatever the word I just used, which means saying it out loud and having somebody else write it down. Uh, di dictating. Dictating. Why, that's, why did you want do. to say that again? That'll did you forget I, it? I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely forgot it. Uh, why did he switch? I don't know the story. Oh, I think uh, uh, age. Age. Maybe vision. Yeah, I think I think I think he had to switch. I think maybe his his eyes were getting. Um, uh, he'd replaced his eyes with stones. And it was <laughs> difficult. <laughs> so I read with Ann Carson the other night. Yeah. Well, I was I uh, I emailed you about the show, and you emailed back that you were with Ann Carson. Yeah, I was. I was in I was in rehearsal when I got your email. <laughs> Um, and one of the pieces that she read was about the Cycladic people of the Aegean in 3500 BC. 
Tell me about who, them. Who invented uh, the main things they brought into the world? They invented the frying pan oh. and the hand and the handbag. <laughs> uh, what are they? And they called? also one of their burial rites was that they would replace they would put they would replace their uh, um, deceased's eyes with stones. Where what is their name again? I'm going to Google them. The Cycladic people. I think C Y C. L A D I C, the Cycladic. Cycladic. From the Cycladic Islands. Maybe they're called the Cyclades. I don't know. There we go. Cycladic civilization. Yeah, they're called the Cyclades. Damn. I didn't from know their about art, these people. From their art, she, she thinks that they're an entirely uh, insomniac culture. Ooh. Seems to me. From the information that we have about them, they don't seem to have ever slept. So the frying pan and the handbag for. For, for staying up at night, taking food with you. Nice. Well, the, those are the um, those are the the, uh, the staples of our of our culture. The frying pan and, and the handbag. Yeah. Yeah, up all night with frying pans and handbags. The Ed's Cook story. <laughs> so, um, what's she like? I know that's an awfully broad question, but she's uh, she's an extraordinary and a highly unusual writer. I'm curious. In, indeed, like. indeed, she is uh, uh, disarmingly charming. Excellent. But but she's also a bit like a shy seventh grader. <laughs> yeah. In gym class, <laughs> you know, mostly communicates maybe through little punches in the arm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought she was delightful. I mean, uh, I, I treasure this experience. This week of you know, four or five days of, of rehearsals, and then the performance, and and uh, spending time with her and her husband Robert Curry, who's a performance artist, and and the the, the performance was really a collaboration between them of of uh, kind of the, the product of her text, and then his processes of of. Uh, um, Performance art and kind of the Laurie Anderson style, yeah. <clears throat> uh, randomizing using John Cage sort of techniques. The the cycladic uh, people's uh, piece that she she wrote was fifty seven facts about the cycladic people, and then he broke them up into um, sort of numbered sections and randomized them, and then the performance was he would shout out the the number which would correspond to something in her text, then she would read the uh, the sentence or the fragment, yeah. and sometimes repeating it, you know, several times, randomizing not just a random order but also random repetitions. And there was a violist and a singer who were also responding to the randomization. Yeah, uh, and then there was also a lot of silence, sometimes a minute of silence between uh, between things. Silence on a stage. Fun. It was really silence, playful and fun. You know? Silence on a stage is a very, very strange and powerful thing. Very unnerving. Yeah. And as is repetition. You're familiar with that. Oh, was it on This American Life or um, Radio Lab or one of those shows about the um, that comedy routine that uh, Kristen Schaal and her comedy partner guy did, where they just sang this song over and over and over again that went, Kristen Schaal is a horse. You don't know this? 
I don't know this. They used to do this routine where they would they said that they had an idea for a um uh, a TV show, uh, like a mm-hmm. like a comedy show. And their sort of rehearsal number and then though they had it it was rejected but they it had a theme song and this is the theme song and then they would perform the theme song and the guy would sing this Kristen Shaw is a horse song while Kristen Shaw danced like a horse and it went on and on and on and on and repeated Mm -hmm. itself and they talked about how as they repeated it it was like first it was funny and then it got funnier for a while as they repeated it and then it got less funny as people thought, all right, this is getting, it really becomes cool. a kind of violence after a while. Repetition is, yeah. is, uh, is violent. And there's a, there's a bit where people are actually offended. They're just like, I just, I want this to stop. And then slowly the audience gets back on their side. And by the end, when Christian Shaw is utterly exhausted from dancing like a horse, <laughs> they, the, 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 uh, the crowd is totally with them and applause, mm-hmm. applauds wildly. But there are all these stages of accepting the fact that the narrative is not moving forward. Yeah. I'll find a I'll find a link to this so that people can listen to it. Um but I highly recommend uh, giving it a listen. Yeah. Um one of the nice things is I you know I've read I've read everything of of of, of Anne's, but you know read the Knox and the autobiography of Red and the Beauty of the Husband and one of the other big ones. And uh, she, uh, well, I don't think I, I, I don't think I realized until really hearing her, her voice and spending some time around her is that she's a, essentially a comedian. You know, the work is very serious, but it's also a deadpan seriousness that is, at at heart, hilarious. You know, the connections, juxtapositions. Yeah, well, this is you know, I, I spent the semester um, with my Syracuse workshop uh, reading Donald Barthelme, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, like Ann Carson, he's extremely erudite and curious and a voracious mm-hmm. reader and student of many subjects, art, architecture, his father was an architect, history. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's deeply serious and deeply, bizarrely funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and funny in the way that I think all the all the greatest dark writers are funny. So um, I, I really liked an old book of hers, the... The Truth About God. I mm. found that to be a very funny book. Mm-hmm. The Truth About God? I think that's what it's called. Don't know. I haven't read the new the book that's in the box. Knox? Knox in the box? Knox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knox is pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. And there's a new one, Antigonic. I haven't, uh, haven't seen it yet. I think that's the newest one. So, it's not uh, as fun. And so I got to read, there, there was a... Uh, a piece called Uncle Falling, and it was two lectures um, interrupted by a chorus of Gertrude Steins. The four Gertrude Steins on stage, sitting at a <laughs> like panel-like table. Oh, my wife uh, I, spent like the f- I spent the first half uh, in an armchair <laughs> on one side of the stage and Ann Carson on the other reading uh, this lecture, this essay really about her uncle, uh-huh. who is a kind of a deaf hermit up in North Ontario. Uh, telling his story, and then I read the second half of the the second lecture, which was an essay really about her father and her relationship with her father, and about dancing and about falling and helmets and sponges. <laughs> it starts with the helmets, ends up talking about sponges, and there's a lot of Achilles in it as well. 
Um, and that was unnerving because it was probably 20 minutes of reading her work right yeah. in front of her, in front right. of an audience of 800 people. Um, and we rehearsed it a number of times. And at first I was imitating her. I was trying to match my, my voice patterns to hers, really. I was trying to be, aff, you know, not having too much affect, or too much personality. And you said, you no. want to do it right. I wanted to do it right. They said, but the point of having two readers is to have there be a difference, so just read it as yourself. I said, even exaggerate a little bit. <laughs> How do you exaggerate yourself? <laughs> what, is, uh, what is enhanced Skoog like? <laughs> well, you, you had to be there. I think I was, I think I was pretty restrained. But All right. There was probably a little too much ego in it. But then behind us, during the whole bit, uh, uh, two friends, Carrie Waste and, and, and Katie Ogle, poets, um, were uh, unfolding and folding uh, sheets for 45 minutes <laughs> while we were talking. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, and then the, the payoff is like in the, one of the last lines about how the, you know, the uncle eventually is committed to uh, a madhouse for dementia late in his life and um, <clears throat> would tear up the sheets. Yeah. And then they'd send, the institute would send this, the, her father the bill for bed sheets. Um, but so we watch people folding and unfolding sheets and they, 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 at one point tearing some sheets um, without having any, just no real connection to the, the text until the very end. Yeah. You know. And it's it was like being hit in the face. Yeah, I know? bet. Yeah, there's a guy. This reminds me of I. I gotta I gotta say this is something that my nothing in my life in, embraces restraint, pretty much, and that's a problem. I think I think I need to I think I need to learn it, uh, not just to keep myself saner and to please those around me, but but uh, as but for the sake of art. There's a guy. Who um, started a? Oh man, I'm not going to find this. Somebody. Oh, okay. Here it is. This tweet. Who is this guy? Here I am on BuzzFeed. Um. So he, this guy Frank Furter, <laughs> on eight, May eighth, two thousand nine, tweeted, "I see you shiver with Antissa." And then on May 8th of this year, followed it up with <laughs> Patien. Very good. Uh, what was the first one? I see you shiver with Antissa. Wait, what was the date of it, though? Uh, May 8th, 2009, five years ago. <laughs> nice, nice. They're, they're inspired by uh, Rocky, the Rocky Horror. Of course, well, of course I know it. I know it very well. Yeah, Too well, really. <laughs> uh but I, I, I gotta say, that's that's patience right there. Five year long yeah. joke. That's commitment. Yeah, it is a commitment. Why is it that in some areas of my life I'm super committee, and others I just have no patience whatsoever? I think you need to look back to Rocky Horror Picture Show for the, <laughs> the answer. <laughs> when was the last time that you watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh Jesus! Have you ever seen the Rocky Horror Picture? Oh show? yeah, yeah, several times, several times. Have you ever seen it at midnight at yep. your town theater? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you dress up? No, 
but I, I wouldn't did, think that you would. But no, you might have. Then, you might have I a would, little bit. If I would have, if I were to, to go now, I would definitely dress up. I'm much, much less inhibited now than I was then. But, um, but I did. If I remember the stuff you throw, I think I prepared props. Some stuff? Yeah, yeah, I don't remember what you throw. I don't remember the stuff. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. Are there other movies that have it's gotten? Hard. It's, it's 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 an impressive. It's it's hard. If you start watching it, you can't. You have to watch it all the way through. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the Wizard of Oz or <laughs> uh, Casablanca or something. If you can't, if you're going to watch some of it, you have to. You can't just watch a little bit. I mean, it really is. You know, a really compelling artifact. Yes. Yeah. Artifact is the key word, I think. You're ta- you're talking about going to see it at a theater, not. What I am, but also if it happens, also if it happens to be on TV or something, you just have to then. You have if you're flipping through the channels and Rocky Horror Picture Show or Casablanca or Wizard of Oz is on. You just have to watch it. My friend Joe Joe Romano, who speaking of speaking of dates in the month of May, has the same birthday as I, though he's older. Nice. Than he uh, has he's he's had. He's notorious among our group of mutual friends for um, having many, many, many careers um, over the years. And he'll come up with new ones all the time and shock you with them. The, the, the classic example of this being after knowing him for about five years, I was going on a little road trip with him to go to this record store in Rochester. And he said to me and my friend in the car quite suddenly, you know, when I was an air traffic controller, did I ever tell you guys I was an air traffic controller? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he he and he told the whole story about how he got out of drug rehab and decided to go to air traffic controller school and did really well in it and pl- passed with flying colors. And then until the they found out that he'd been in drug rehab. No, no, no. They apparently oh, uh, they, yeah, he, he he they were going to hire him. And he the first day he walked in to the tower, he was like, "Nope, not going to do it. this," and yeah. he and he moved on to other other things but he made um among his jobs was uh uh uh, uh filmmaking and he's you know video yeah. editing and other other kind of film and television related things but he made a feature length film um and i'm googling it now uh called niagravation here it is on imdb uh rating of 4.7 this is the i'm going to i'm going to read you the summary the year is 1961. Honeymoon couple Norm and Luann Wiener head for Niagara Falls for their dream vacation, never dreaming they would drive straight into the clutches of an alien invasion force bent on stealing the falls. Oh, my. Or, well, their, their planet needs water. Or that they would meet a group of ghosts who live beneath Niagara, daredevils who died in barrels, fell off tight nice. ropes, etc., who enlist like our it. couple to save their watery grave and the very earth itself. That's the greatest story I've ever heard. Right? It's got it's a science yeah. it's a, well, it's a ghost. A yeah. nostalgic science fiction ghost story set at Niagara Falls. And I think his intent was to create a new Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's got uh songs in it. And uh, they're honeymooners, right? Is that they're honeymooners. Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's incredibly entertaining. And I still feel like if had if enough people had seen it. It would have reached a sort of critical mass, and it could have become a cult movie. Yeah. What were some of the songs? Uh, lo- my, my love is like a river is the one that I imagine. 
And there's this this chorus. This woman would sing, "My love is like a river," and then the people in the background would say, "A stream, a something, a babbling brook," like little synonyms for river or river-like things. It was very catchy. Uh, but it, yeah, it was, and it was a musical. That was the other gimmick. Um, <laughs> but I wondered, you know. Do people set out to create a, a cult favorite? Was that a thing before Rocky Horror Picture Show? Were there cult favorite movies, or did that did, did that movie define the genre? I don't know when campiness gets established at that level. This is yeah. a, this, the Sontag essays is about this, right? Yeah. Uh, the the emergence of camp. Uh, it's hard to imagine doing something like that without uh, the notion. Uh, you know, without, without there being a, a pretty firm commitment to camp. Well, I don't know the uh, the Ed Wood movies. Well, I think they were made earnestly. Yeah, um, I think they were. I don't know. Notes on camp. Here it is. I'll put it in the notes. The notes on our show. Notes on notes on notes on camp. Notes on lunchbox. What do you think that the Miss Sontag would have? Uh, said about our podcast, John. I I I think she would have been mute with with horror. Or I don't mute know with appreciation. <laughs> with appreciation, it's hard to tell. It's one of the problem, one of the things about muteness is that <laughs> it's hard to interpret. I think it would have been mute with 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 appreciation. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Well, that's, you know, if one, if you're a glass half full kind of guy, uh, mutinous is your friend. Mm -hmm. It can be whatever you could want. Could be horror. It to be. Could be horror. Could be appreciation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what else is going on? It's been a, been a month. You've been taking been care a, of yourself. I've been the alone. Kids there. Ithaca. I, You've been yeah. driving up to Syracuse a bunch. Yeah. Um, I well, my wife has been away, so I have been, I've been, I've been single parenting. Although the, my kids don't require a lot of parenting, but uh, your I, shirt I looks am, clean. Oh, your Vedic you. uh, uh, undershirt looks looks clean. Although this it is, is an undershirt, perhaps this, it is the only clean shirt. This, by the way, is the, the this is the perfect T-shirt. This is, I've discovered the perfect T-shirt. It is by Everlane. Um, Everlane. Ever, ever, Everlane. E V E R L A N E. Everlane. 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 Simply a wonderful shirt, and they just added some new colors too. Ooh. Uh, but anyway, um, this, that is for me. It's hard to find, you know. It's, it's hard to find a shirt that that really fits the way you like. But this is this fits me well. It's comfortable. It's, yeah, uh, stylish. I guess I found this shirt. What you got? You can't see it at all. It, it at New York, a pattern, a pattern. On. Mm -hmm. Got it at New York Fashions. On Canal Street in New Orleans when I was there a week and a half ago. <laughs> I like when New York fashion. When one city claims claims to be an authority on the fashions of another city, you know you're in for you know you're in for some very, very handsome clothes. 
Yeah, what I think of what happens at New York Fashions in New Orleans is somebody goes up to New York once in a while, looks around, comes back, and makes some shirts. <laughs> New York Fashions would be a good name for a book of poems, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. It could be a good name for this uh, episode of the podcast. New York Fashions. <laughs> so I can't. Can you describe the shirt for our listener? It's it's got well, a it's a silk shirt, I think, with a print. Yeah, I think it's a print shirt, um, <clears throat> sort of uh, like blue waves that are outlined by small black lines, and then uh, sort of a beige rectangle uh, appearing, um, <laughs> sort of the way that things would come onto the screen in the Atari video game uh, uh, journey. <laughs> you're riding a bicycle through space. Well, you don't mean, stop believing. You mean Journey Escape, the video game? Journey Escape, the video oh, game. Oh, yeah. wow. Riding, if you're riding a bike through space, uh, <laughs> Don't Stop Believing is playing, and things, uh, shapes appear, and you have to either dodge them or go through them. <laughs> and it's the greatest video game ever made. Without it was, a doubt. It was pretty great. <laughs> it was great. It's a little, um, you know, MIDI, uh, Don't Stop Believing. Yep. Um, over and over again. Yeah, I got it. Uh, I got it right here on uh, on my YouTube here. This is great. So good. Sure, sure reminds me of that. It's sort of an African shield. Uh, <laughs> quite, the, uh, quite the cultural mashup we've got going. Is is uh, in the middle of the uh, uh, of the rectangle. New Orleans, New York, Africa, space. Journey. Journey. Escape. <laughs> you know, you got, did you find a screenshot from? I do. I've got a whole video of it right here. Yeah. You can probably play it, right? Don't they have all of the video games now? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I have, I've, in fact, I am sure I have it here on this very laptop. I have I have all the whole Atari 2600. ROM I'd like to set. know who, between you and me and perhaps any of our listeners, can get the highest score on Journey Escape. <laughs> oh, 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 it's, as they say, on. It's on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um... Yeah, now there's a video game. In those days, you heard you heard about this thing, this ET landfill story. I did. I played that game. I didn't think it was so bad. See, thank you. I really liked it. It's I spent, at least uh, as good as Journey Escape. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. You had to find all the pieces of the thing and bring them together. It was a little bit like Adventure and Haunted House, which were favorites of mine. Haunted House was an excellent game. Yeah, it was, was great. I received it as a, a convalescent present after I had my my adenoids out. Oh, that's really good. Is that mm -hmm. a fond memory? Uh, yeah, I mostly remember playing Haunted House instead yeah. of remembering the pain of surgery. So it was successful. Yep, that's what that's what that shit's for. Could have been trauma. Instead, it's a uh, puzzle solving. The lights yep. go out. All you can see are the eyes moving around the screen. There's a bat <laughs> of them. Yep. Adventure was was a pretty profound game. I remember they also had a bat, I think, that would yep. would fly through the screen and take a key or anything that you happen to have. Yeah. Sometimes it'd take a dragon. If the dragon had a key in it, you could get the dragon to swallow a key. And then sometimes the bat would take that dragon. Yep. Yep. 
it's like it was the uh, it was the turducken of uh, 1970s video games. Mm-hmm. It was the key drag bat. Key drag bat. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. You know what? For a while there, your voice was muffled by a bad connection, but you seem to be back for now. Oh, I hear you going away again. Um, yeah. So the actually, there's a great bit in Braid, the video game I was talking about earlier, where you have to use a key but the key is recalcitrant it it has a mind of its own it um it travels differently through time than you do but the mechanic mm. of picking it up and carrying it around was clearly inspired by the experience of picking up the key in adventure do you remember how sometimes you get the key in adventure but it wouldn't be touching you it would be you'd be, carrying be carried it along. in front of you yeah or above mm. you or like the 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 mm. The physics of getting the key and dragging it around were compelling, weirdly compelling. If it was a buggy, you couldn't unlock the door. Yeah, you had to drop it, pick it up again right. in the right yeah. position, and then you had to force move it in the front key of you. towards the portal, which was yeah. sometimes above you. Sometimes it could be on any side of the screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, um, but as soon as as soon as I saw this key in Braid and the weird way it stands apart from you, you can move it at a weird distance. It's it is a- absolutely a reference to the physics of Atari Adventure, mm-hmm. and it was in a way like a good literary reference. Remi- a good literary ref- reference points something out to you that you had internalized without knowing it. You know that it illuminates something that was already in you in a way. Um, this did that same that same kind of thing. So it doesn't. It wasn't. You know, the, having played adventure as a child was not required to get it, but um, but mm-hmm. it was it was a nice enhancement. Good. What uh, do you have for lunch today? I, I hate to disappoint you, but I had. Um, I it's had, not going to disappoint me. Oh, it's gonna. I had just had some hummus. Eaten on some uh, some red hot blues. That's great. I do want to say something about. It's a good lunch. It's really a snack. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to eat too much. Well, it's I ate snack. a lot of them, but I yeah. uh, I do want to say something about red hot blues, though, which I haven't they have, eaten. They're not as good as they used to be. Is one thing. Oh, do you think so? I think they're quite delicious. I think that I think that they put less red on them. <laughs> they, Their main is blue as ever. Really, more of a purple. And uh, but I think there's less red. Yeah, the reddening uh, of of the red hot blues is significant. Meanwhile, there's there's a series of um, uh, Tostitos that have like extra flavoring on them now, and one of them's called Hint of Lime. But in fact, it's more like it's like metric fuck ton of lime. I'm I'm getting <laughs> I'm salivating thinking about these chips. Um, I see. I always. I usually. I usually do the podcast with you right after a meal, right after breakfast, or sometimes right after lunch. But now it's pre-dinner, and mm. I'm anticipating the uh, the Mexican food, or rather the Mexican Ithacan food, as it says on the on the menu. Enjoy our Mexican Ithacan cuisine at Viva Taqueria here in Ithaca with Rian. But anyway, mm. or uh, we, uh, so the uh, so I had the. Uh, that's what I had for lunch. But the Red Hot Blues, I hadn't eaten for a while and have sort of gone back to them and yeah. I'm enjoying them again. And I had a bag. When the band comes over, it's usually at um, right after everybody gets out of work for the day. So it's by 5 or 5.30. And I usually have some snacks 
for them since they're guests at my house. And um, right. when they, uh, Elizabeth, our singer, calls it the after school snack. Yeah. And uh, I put out some red hot blues, and uh, someone had never had them before. And oh, ate a few they're of them. in for a treat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and was saying how great they were. And, they are. Um, and uh, so the, there was some discussion about them, and then someone said, yeah, but they're really expensive. They're like eight bucks. I mean, they're not. No, they're not. They're not eight they're bucks, like but they are, they are expensive. Maybe. They're yeah. expensive for chips. Yeah. And then the, I was mocked for eight dollars for blithely for blithely buying expensive chips. And then I kind of because I'm the guy with a real job. And so I sort of I sort of went along you're on, with it. You own a house. You have but, grown, I, but I said, grown. oh, yes, I just I don't even think about money. If I want chips, I just buy some chips. But then I realized while making fun of myself, that is not only is that true. That for me is the was the point of adulthood. Yeah, is is so that I could if I want some expensive tortilla chips, I can just buy a bag. And yeah, it's not a big deal. You know what I did yesterday for lunch? What? I ordered a pizza. Ah, <laughs> yes. It just it was lunch. Who orders a pizza for lunch? And it was just me and Oscar. Yeah. A large pepperoni pizza from Zeke's. Good pizza. It's okay. They deliver half of it. They deliver. Yeah. Yeah. I felt I felt uh, I felt like I'd achieved something. <laughs> I'd achieved nothing. Could make a pizza on my own. Could eat something healthier. Yeah. But, uh, order a pizza and watch the Daily Show. Middle of the day. That, see, those are not things you ordinarily do in the middle of the day. I got thinking as I was driving. I don't know why it came into my head. So I was driving downtown. That um, my mother would occasionally make uh, pancakes for dinner. Nice. And it was enough of a family tradition. Well, I knew pancakes were con conventionally regarded as a breakfast food. But uh, we it, we did this enough so that it didn't seem odd. But now it seems extremely odd. Does anyone make pancakes for dinner? Well, I, I hope that uh, if anybody's listening that we can we find out from this wide sample. It also it seems uncharacteristic of my mother as well because it does. My mother's pretty by the book, and and she's coming here yeah. tomorrow. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a point of asking Ask her. her. She may deny having done it. She may. She, she may. may think John, you're making stuff up. You're telling <laughs> stories on me. She's reformed. She doesn't want to talk about I, those days. I think I think I think breakfast for dinner is is is, is fun. Yeah. Um, you know, another time of day the pancakes are really good is like two or three in the morning, after you've been out, you know, on the town. Do you do making them yourself or getting them at like Waffle House? The the best chef for this is Eric Henry, uh, Abilene Slim. Our, <laughs> of course, uh, our uh, pedal steel player from Bumbershoot, yeah. right? Whom you'll remember. I do. Well, we all live well. together. We live together uh, in a farmhouse outside of Manhattan, Kansas. My fifth year in college, and uh, very often we would be uh, in town or just hanging out out at the farmhouse with with uh, the gang. And uh, if two or three o'clock would roll around, we're hungry. Eric would make pancakes, big batch of pancakes, damn sloppy old pancakes, and they're just perfect. That's when they taste the best. And then you can load them up with uh, syrup or yeah, you know, syrup and, and butter, or just eat them 
you know, as they come off of the griddle. Yeah. Uh, really nice. Really nice. Three in the morning. One thing I like. Uh, it's verging on breakfast. Yeah. But it's, it's a big difference between the, something you eat at four in the morning and something you eat at 5.30, I think. Yeah. I think the cutoff is. I think at 5.30, it's breakfast. At 4.30, it's, it's uh, midnight snack. Midnight snack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we yeah, I like well when, whenever there's a Whenever there's an extra pancake that has not been eaten, when we have a pancake morning, I enjoy yeah. uh, waiting till everyone has had their fill. The pancakes have cooled. It's definitely a leftover pancake. And then just picking it up off the plate and walking about the house, eating, eating a pancake without, uh, without syrup. Butter. Like a like a European. Is that how a European eats a pancake? I've never I've never been, but I picture <laughs> I, I picture a bunch of dandies walking around eating eating pancakes or moussaka. I don't know. <laughs> dandies, what are you, you? You've been to Europe. <laughs> dandies on boulevards. <laughs> eating food um, out of their hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> on boulevards. <laughs> you you've been to Europe. I've been to England, and I was in the hospital most of the time. You were? Why? I had a staph infection. I've told the story before. Oh yeah, you I was sick been. before I went to England. The the the, the veterinarian at Kansas State. Uh, Told me that it was nothing, and uh, so I went to um, to England and got got sick, and my blood got septic, and I had to go in and, and uh, spent most of the time in a in a hospital in Oxford, and then uh, got better just in time to catch my flight home, and that's my <laughs> European experience, 1991. Wow! I so I think I of you as someone who who travels a lot, but all of almost all your travel is domestic. I traveled a lot around the country. Yeah. And Mexico, that's it. That's it. I've never been to Europe. Never been to Asia. We've got to go to Asia, Ed. Everybody else is. Yeah. You're coming back from it? I was going to move to Prague after graduate school. Oh. Me and AJ had a whole plan. It didn't work out? Hasn't yet. Turns out we were a couple years too late for Prague. Yeah, people have told me since. What would what, what what would have been the right place to go to in in 1996, 1995? Bucharest, Moscow, really? Maybe maybe Moscow or Bucharest or Sofia, um, Berlin. Mm-hmm. I think it seems it turns out that it's always the right time to go to Berlin. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, Barcelona. I think Barcelona was was a place at the time. Istanbul mm-hmm. was lively. Um, Vietnam. People were starting to go to Vietnam at that time. Um, now, my a lot of you know when I meet somebody twenty twenty five or so, um, many of them have spent a year or so in Vietnam or, or Cambodia or Laos. Yeah, I think that seems to be. The, uh, the 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 prog of of this gen for this generation. My uh, uh my bandmate, my guitarist Lauren, um, spending a lot of time in Nicaragua. Ah, rural Nicaragua, the cradle of her family. Yeah, and uh, 
quite adores it. Inland shark. I... You have sharks in the lakes. They Nicaragua. Do? Yeah. Freshwater sharks? The only freshwater shark. The Lake Nicaragua shark. You're, Turns you're out not... the lake is a little brackish. So okay. I think technically it's, you know. You don't know about the, the sharks of Lake Nicaragua? I do not. You should educate yourself, John. I thought you were an educated man. Well, I haven't. I do have an internet. I thought that so. you had once been a boy, and would have learned all about all of the, the eccentric sharks of the world. The Wabagong of Australia, <laughs> also called the carpet shark. Gentle nurse sharks, the lemon shark. The jaguar shark. Wow! Look at these. Lake Nicaragua's freshwater sharks. Very interesting. All right. All right. I, I, uh, I'm going to ask her about this. I'm going to ask her what she knows about Lake Nicaragua and the freshwater sharks of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, mostly, though, Ed, haven't been doing a ton of writing I'm, I'm, I, no. I printed out the old novel in progress uh, this morning or last night, and while in my cups, I printed it out because I was too afraid to do it um, sober. And then this morning, I faced the pile of pages. I brought them down to the coffee shop and started uh, looking at them, looking at them and thinking about them. And I took some notes, got some ideas. Things are going to get grim in these pages. They're, I'm going to grim, grim them up. Grim up. Grim them up. Good. Get grim. Yeah. Maybe in the next next few days, I hope, I'm going to start actually putting, adding words to the pile of words. Yeah. The compost of words, the mulch of words. That is my novel in progress. Well, good luck. Thank you. Where's What's new in your writing life? We're in the, we're I've, in the... I've, 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 I've got a pile of poems, and I sent them to uh, one friend um, to see if he thinks that there's anything to it. Um, maybe, is, maybe it's book getting into a kind of book shape. I think it probably isn't, though. It is lengthwise, but I think psychologically there's, there's a lot more. Um, uh, this, this line of thinking, I think I still have <clears throat> another year or so, uh, which I think, uh, luckily, we just arranged... Uh, childcare yesterday for the first time oh. since perhaps well since we left Missoula yeah uh, so we'll be going to Oscar will be going to a couple of days of, of daycare at oh. a drop center in the basement of a congregational church near the University of Washington and uh, so maybe I'll get back uh, get back to to um, the poetry train very promising uh, the boy is going to have some friends. I hope so. We went and visited, and it was uh, it was very nice. Yeah, a lot of acti- the activity room had a water table, like a table with you know holding a, a few inches of water. You could put stuff in. There are lots of little little Bacter- sharks and bacteria, spots. for instance. Yeah, bacteria or uh, amoebas, anything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was a lot of lot of room in that. A lot of space for transmission of diseases. That was good, good, but but I think less so than in other daycares that I've seen. So um, there was a table, a table full of uh, 
Uh, it was, I think it might have been like rice and, and colored popcorn salt. Yeah. Which makes that interesting little texture that you can scoop up with little teaspoons and put them into miniature jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> These are good projects. Uh-huh. There was finger paint. Uh, it, was, it was nice. There was a little play. There's a storybook room, room for telling stories. Indoor playground, outdoor playground. Nice. Uh, safe. Uh, affordable. Really? Sort of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Compared to what all the horror stories of how much it was going to cost. Yeah. But we're not doing a full day either because we don't need a we don't need five days of full day. So you're gonna you're gonna use this to write some poems. Oh, I think so. Drop them off. Go to the coffee shop. Notebook. Nice pen. Write some poems. Yep. Yep. That's the plan. University district because it's uh it's it's very close to a lot of of uh, books of coffee shops that are uh, contemplative. It's near um, some of the the libraries on the University of Washington campus. You can go over to this Zalo library into their great room that nobody really uses. It feels very poetic, like uh, Shakespeare would be in there writing uh, <laughs> a term paper on Shakespeare. Yeah, my equivalent of that room. Oh, <laughs> he'd probably he'd the, the punchline of that story would be real egocentric, dude. Real egocentric. He gets a, he gets yeah. a C plus on it, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, no, there's a, this room called the Founders Room at Annabelle Taylor Hall at Cornell. That is a just a big, beautiful, empty room with stained glass windows and a massive, massive table. And uh, if you go in there at the right time of day. Uh, they'll let you in, and you can just work there. So I think that's going to be one of my summer spots. Do some founding. Yeah, some foundering. All right. What's your summer like? Are you going to Scotland? I am. I, you know, I, I, I for a little while I was thinking maybe I, I wouldn't end up going to Scotland, uh, depending on how the drama in, in uh, my wife's family was was playing out but um things have stabilized in 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 the saddest possible way somebody died but yeah. um but uh I think that I'll I think that I'll be able to do it and uh looking forward to it I'm a little nervous about it actually when is it August Ju- July first June? first couple of weeks of July yeah, nice you want to come and visit me the 4th of July what kind of patriot are you I'm I'm like the I'm like the speaker in the uh Minutemen song mm. I felt like a gringo yeah, I would come join you, but I'm going to be down in Idlewild for uh, for three weeks of July, conducting my poetry week. Yeah, um, is our friend Alice going to be there? And Alice Bowen will be there. She will be the uh, the first uh, poetry week fellow ever. We have fellowship, and wanted to give it to somebody from Cal- a poet, young poet, promising poet from California, and. Uh, uh, and Alice is not busy. <laughs> Alice will also be uh, beginning uh, as an employee there, a poet in residence, starting in, in the fall at the Academy in Idlewild. Uh, speaking of Idlewild, uh, a friend of mine who uh, I know listened to the show at least once uh, passed away this week. Oh, I'm so sorry. He, he shan't be listening to, our, to this podcast. Who is he? Uh, his name was George Pratt. He was an English teacher at Idlewild Arts Academy. Uh, righteous dude. Awesome fella. Uh, started having some heart complications in the beginning of the year. 
had a valve, artificial valve put in yeah. a month ago or so and, and uh, came home and was recovering and then passed away Monday morning. His wife found him um, in the guest bedroom with uh, a book uh, across his chest and his reading glasses on. And what was the book? While reading. I don't know what the book was. I am am sorry to hear that. But I I hope hope to find out so that I can avoid it. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well, then come to lunch. Because it's time. It's time for lunch box with it. 